This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Uh, this, this thing never fucking works right. Let me see it, friend. Unit Hillsmer. Fuck you, Zero. Just because you're like some weird robot savior thing from another dimension doesn't mean you know how to fix pirate radio station recording devices. This is my domain, motherfucker. You invited me on this uh, journalistic exploit with you, friend unit Hillsmer. Uh, the least I can do is mm, be helpful. Let's chill it with the friend unit thing. You know how you can be helpful? Make sure Dave and Andrew park in the Lincoln Jr. somewhere out of sight. I don't want these assholes knowing we're coming, okay? So then he's like, what do you guys not have schools where you're from? Does he know that you're from Arizona? Exactly! <laughs> <laughs> you are... A delight. <laughs> Thanks. I know. <laughs> Will you two shut the fuck up? Oh, oh, hey, I think it's recording. I think it's been recording this whole time. Oh, my God. I was saying some weird shit earlier. I'm going to get canceled. Hello, listeners of Hillsmer's Pirate Radio Station. It's me, your beloved demonic space hell late night radio DJ coming to you from the depths of... Where are we again? I'm not sure. Uh, somewhere on the east side of town, I think. We're here, somewhere on the east side of time, coming to investigate... East side of town. East side of... East side of town, Hillsmer. On the east side of time, where we're investigating a mysterious new theme park that has seemingly materialized out of thin air. I'm here with some of my friends, and some idiot named Dave, to investigate it for you. Wait, 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 wait. Looks like we can't get in. There's, there's this massive gate, and it's locked. We came all this way just to stand in front of this fucking gate? Uh, you didn't check to make sure that this supernatural theme park was open, Hillsmer? No. What am I, the fucking keeper of checking? Things are open? <laughs> I could fly over this gate, friend unit Andrew, and just, you know... Open it from the other side? No, no. We don't want to piss off whoever the bullshit-ass theme park god is that opened this stupid fucking thing or the trans-dimensional emotion ghost that's trying to harvest the spirit of children or whatever's going on here on the east side of town. Wait, there's a note here. Hmm. We'll be back in a few. Make yourself comfortable. That's an order. You're being watched. Oh, great. Well, I guess we should just... Hang out here in front of this creepy gate. A possible time-traveling, interdimensional, shifting, face-variance amusement park watches us. It's probably super intelligent, knowing our luck. What are we going to do with this indeterminate amount of time that we have to sit here and be watched? Uh, we could steal Hilsmer's recording device for his radio station and just record an episode of Deep Cuts. Cool, let's do it. Give me that recorder, you piece of shit. I hate you. You smell like cheese. Oh, Jesus. Why do you smell like so much cheese? I don't smell like cheese. You smell like cheese. You you were eating a wheel of cheese on the way here, you fucking idiot. Nice comeback. Okay, whatever. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. It's cool. It's fine. It's all good. Let's just fucking do this. Let's record an episode of Deep Cuts. We're behind in the schedule. Let's do this. Hillsmer, shut the fuck up. Zero, stand over there and go into sentry mode or whatever. Let's, let's just fucking do this. All right, let me just change these settings a little bit. Tweaks me cues. Boost some mids. And... I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty gritty. So you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Ultraman in Thailand. What is Ultraman? Well, he's an internationally recognized, size-shifting Japanese superhero. He spawned 50 years of sequels, toys, and reboots. He's a beloved icon across the globe. And then he was stolen by a Thailand-based production company, bootlegged, and made into a theme park attraction. Act 1. Bullshit from the M78 galaxy. 
Ultraman wasn't the initial entry into the Ultra franchise. That would be Ultra Q. The television show Ultra Q didn't actually feature any heroes or typical henshin characters or even kaiju. It was more of a Twilight Zone or Outer Limits style program. It was created in order to capitalize off the popularity of the monster and special effects boom in Japan in the 1970s. It lasted 28 episodes. After it ran its course, E.J. Tsuburaya, the founder of Tsuburaya Productions, decided to reboot the series with a main character that could be consistently pitted against giant monsters. Thus, Ultraman. We could spend a ton of time talking about Ultraman, Ultra 7, and all of the other Ultra characters. However, we're not really going to do that. We're going to specifically talk about how Ultraman ended up in Thailand. I will say, however, that uh, Ultraman was the Steve Urkel of Ultra Q's Family Matters. <laughs> like he, like he got shoved sideways into it, and then he uh, he got so popular that he eclipsed the the original thing. Is that yeah, what that was, joke he, means? He was a it was a, a side character that was added like several episodes in, and it was supposed to be just like an annoying, you know, the boner from Growing Pains character. And then uh, he ends up becoming like the main draw of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. <laughs> but I love that. I love that idea. Also, also because Ultraman's catchphrase was, did I do that? Yes, it's true. But but more importantly, I, I love the idea of Ultraman wearing high water jeans over his like jumpsuit and like wrestling with monsters on like sets of cityscapes, but just in high waisted and high water jeans. That sounds delightful to me. Yeah. <laughs> no debate there. None. Don't even try to debate that. Um, what, b- before we get into the meat of this, what was your um, exposure to Ultraman prior to us being like, we should do an episode about this? Were you were you an Ultraman fan? Did you like it growing up? Or? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we brought this up on the show or if it was something that we just talked about in person. I'm just kind of forgetting. I, we've definitely had the conversation. But I think back... And I actually can't remember where I was exposed to watching Godzilla and Ultraman and stuff. I don't know. I don't know where I where I watched it. Did, did they? I, I feel like maybe they showed those movies and 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 the shows like on like cable TV in the '90s. Like maybe they played them on TNT or something. I have no memory of where the origin of my exposure to those to to I mean Japanese tokusatsu stuff in general. I, I don't. Re- I remember watching it when I was a kid, and it's one of those weird things where you kind of like think back and you're like, where did I ever watch that? Where what was the what was the origin? I mean, later on, as I got more and more into it, then I started. You know, I was downloading movies on Kazaa or whatever. Um, but I think I think I watched it on like TNT or something back in the 90s. Yeah, I think um, Ultraman got brought over in the 80s to Hawaii and dubbed. And then that version of Ultraman got syndicated pretty widely in the States as like a late night block uh, piece of content. Um, but I mean, Godzilla is everywhere. Like, you know, they screen that shit on like fucking sunday nights and sunday sunday afternoons you know all over the country yeah but it was like it was like specifically watching those really cheesy ones where it's like fucking godzilla and and mothra and and rodan like dancing around and shit yeah i i was never like growing up i didn't i wasn't really a big godzilla person i got into him later and i because my initial exposure was the really goofy like 70s stuff which i didn't like um, but then probably towards the end of high school, maybe beginning of college, I found like the original, like Gojira and like the more political ones, the darker ones, which then kind of created like a permission structure of it allowed me a way in. And then I watched all the millennium ones. And then I went back and watched the seventies ones and the sixties ones. And I, I have a, a much better appreciation for them after viewing the other stuff. Cause you kind of have context for how the franchise started as almost like a, an adult franchise and then got dumbed down for little kids because everybody liked the monster so much and then kind of got uh, adultified again. Um, and I didn't I didn't uh, get into Ultraman until after I had graduated college and I was living in San Diego. I, I there was a Sam Goody. You remember Sam Goody? Uh, there was a Sam Goody down the street Dave, from my house. Dave, Dave, Going to Sam Goody tonight. No, it's going to be all right. My Jinko jeans pulled on tight. Can't get much better. Yes, I'm I'm familiar that you wrote an entire musical and there was a song 
about Sam Goody, which the listeners can find in our feed. It's the Napster episode. It sounds way better than that. That was me trying to remember how the chords went after I after I haven't played it in like four months. But yeah, I, I got into Tokusatsu after around that time really deep where I would like I watched all of the, the Toei Spider-Man show and then all of the original series of Ultraman and then bought bootlegs of Ultra 7 and then bootlegs of Kamen Rider V3 and then bootleg. And I would basically just like there was a there's like a Malaysian eBay, which in the mid 2010s or whatever was kind of like or the early 2010s was like the way that a lot of people got tokusatsu stuff over here is you would buy bootlegs on that Malaysian eBay site. And I bought a fuckload of it. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, admittedly, I don't know nearly as much about Ultraman as 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 uh, Godzilla and, and the Toei stuff. I, you know, I, I I watched random bits and pieces of it as a kid, which are, it's kind of a little bit of a blur. And then later on, I got really obsessed with like downloading and watching every Godzilla and like insulary character vi- movie, like in chronological order. But I definitely I didn't. uh I didn't give Ultraman the same treatment. Which is funny because EJ Subaraya, the creator of Ultraman, is one of the guys who co-created Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that at the time. Ultraman first crossed paths with Thailand during the production of Six Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army. Or when it was released in Thailand, Hanuman versus Seven Ultraman, which was released in 1974. The film is a fairly by-the-numbers Ultraman story for the period. There's monsters, the legendary Ultras fight them, and guess what? They win in the end. What's interesting about this is the fact that A, it was reissued a shitload of times, and B, it was released again with stolen footage from Ultraman Zafi, which the Thailand-based production company did not have the rights to at the time. So basically... For maybe more casual listeners, Ultraman is a TV show, takes off, becomes super popular in Japan, and then um, they, the way franchises work for tokusatsu in Japan is different than over here. Over here, we have Superman, Batman, uh, Spider-Man, you know, these kind of like superhero characters, and it's the same guy over and over and over again. And quite frankly, it's like more or less the same story over and over and over again. Peter Parker gets bit by a spider and he has to go fight the Green Goblin. Okay, great. Well, that one didn't perform too well. We're going to do it again. This time, Peter Parker gets bit by a spider and he has to fight the Green Goblin. Okay, we're going to do it. Ah, that one didn't... Ah, we weren't too happy with that one. Peter Parker gets bit by a spider and this time he has to fight the Vulture. Oh, we like that one. Okay, okay, we're going to do it again. Peter Parker got bit by a spider, now loses his powers, has to fight uh, Craven the Hunter? Yeah, we're obsessed with continuity and canon. We we really like characters. Um, a large sort of market share of the fans are very protective about those characters being interpreted in exactly the way that they want them to be interpreted as. And also, there's a the typical Hollywood uh, low risk taking feedback loop where every with every iteration of something you just less and less want to take risks which creates this dynamic where uh you know you tend to just get the same thing recycled back to you over and over again because everybody in the situation is scared of deviating in any way that will anger somebody or lose money here or whatever and the the tokusatsu tv show model actually isn't that different but it's just not the same character and there's usually kind of a gimmick for it so um the tokusatsu stuff, uh, like specifically Ultraman, the origin story for Ultraman is that there is a some sort of scientific police officer who either dies or is traumatically injured. And this alien bonds with him, saves his life and in a sort of like Faustian deal or or kind of like a an angelic modality the 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 scientific police officer makes a deal that he will uh kind of protect humanity in combination and he'll act as like a vessel for this alien so giant monsters appear the scientific officer will do something he'll raise a beacon he'll perform a hand gesture whatever it is and that human will turn into a giant 60 foot tall alien that's benevolent that defends humanity from whatever these monsters are and every ultraman show is basically that for the initial seven uh series so they every year the tokusatsu shows are about 50 episodes and a movie. That's usually what it is. And that's how it kind of got nailed down in the 70s when Ultraman was really popular and Kamen Rider was really popular. They had these, you know, they would they would 
have the character. We got the origin. Great. Fighting monsters. Okay. It's been a year. All of the kids who have watched our show have aged out. We're going to have the actor leave. We're going to bring in a new actor. He's going to play a new character, and it's going to be ostensibly Ultraman 2. Ultraman 3 is a new guy. It's the same story, same scientific, you know, more or less the same scientific police department, but they have a different costume and so on and so forth for the first seven years that the that the characters existed. For any of you Anglo-centric media consumers, it's slightly similar to the way that Doctor Who works. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar to Doctor Who. And one of the reasons why this really caught on is because um, the guy who played the original Common Rider um, had an accident. He was performing a stunt and broke, I think he broke his hip. Um, he's common writer is like a Batman style character. That's grasshopper themed that rides a motorcycle, fucked up his hip yet. Yeah, Takeshi Hungo was no more. And they brought in a new, a new character halfway through the first season of the original common writer. And then basically for the back half of common writer, after the original actor got healed, there's two common writers and they wear the exact same costume, except they have different colored scarves. <laughs> And like basically from that, you know, the the kind of need to reboot and refresh and constantly be pulling in little kids, this structure of every year it's going to reboot and there's going to be a new movie. It's going to introduce this, you know, there's going to be a handing off of the baton, you know, the, our, the character we've been following for this year will hand off the mantle of the main guy to the new character. And a lot of these characters are drawn, driven by toy manufacturers. So, you know. One year it'll be magic themed. The next year it'll be samurai themed. The next year it'll be fish themed. The next year it'll be fruit themed. The next year it'll be dinosaur themed. And um, which is interesting because here in the United States, with with I mean less so now. I think it still kind of happens now, but particularly in the nineties, the we just we did the same thing, but just ignoring logic. Like instead of like actually uh, creating media that was the 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 genesis of the of the merchandising we just like you know a batman movie would come out and then there would be a line of toys with like versions of batman that just weren't in the movie at all or it's like batman returns came out here's the batman but then here's arctic freeze batman and jungle (laughs) escape batman and camo danger batman yeah um so so kind of you know to get us back on track for this thailand stuff basically one of the movies that that Subaraya made was retrofitted to be released in Thailand. And then the production company that Subaraya worked with in in order to package it for the Thai market, um, Chayo Productions, they started doing some shady shit and just kept re-releasing the movie. And then at one point they re-released it with footage. Ultraman Zafi is a character that shows up at the end of the original Ultraman show. He's kind of like... Um, this he's not really a Jor-El he's just like another Ultraman soldier that like shows up on Earth because something bad happens at the end of the original Ultraman show spoiler alert for a show that's 50 years old but at the original at the end of the original show Ultraman dies and Zafi shows up on Earth and like takes Ultraman back to the home planet basically he's like the Steve Urkel of Ultraman (laughs) yeah and so they, you know, they they bring him back to the home planet or whatever. So they used footage of Zafi in one of their unlicensed re-releases of this movie, the the um, Hanuman versus the Seven Ultra Brothers. The company that Subaraya partnered with to make the film and the derivative Thai, Malaysian, and other Asian country cuts was Chayo Productions, who later partnered with UM Corporation. To make a long story short, after the production and distribution of Hanuman versus the Eleven Ultra Brothers concluded, Chayo Productions and UM Corporation claimed that they had been given the license to produce other Ultraman products. And so they just continued to make Ultraman movies and shows and re-release stuff. So there basically was two Ultra franchises for a period of time where there was the actual Ultraman franchise and then there's this bootleg tie franchise where they would just take whatever the existing show was, recut it and re-release it. So it was like the alternate foreign versions of the Wiggles, but if they were not actually officially licensed by the Wiggles company, they were just raw dogging it. Yep. And to make things even weirder, though, I th- we, I think we should just talk briefly about um, this movie, uh, Hanuman versus the Ultra Brothers. And we've we've watched a little bit of 
the footage from it. I've never seen the whole movie. I just know the story of how it got made and all that stuff. But Andrew, if you were going to describe Hanuman versus the seven ultra brothers, just briefly, what, how would you describe it? Like who, basically who is Hanuman? Like that's the, that's the selling point. Who is Hanuman? Yeah. I mean, Hanuman is like, is like a Thai God. So as we've kind of said before, this is kind of repeating what we've discussed Hanuman versus the Seven Ultra Brothers would be as if we made like a huge, like $200 million fucking bl- blockbuster that was like the Avengers versus Jesus. It's really surreal. And it's super cool. Like he's like this kind of like ape god who like dances around and wears like a kind of onesie suit that has really cool, intricate patterning all over it. Yeah, and the costume is amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And I guess the guy who played Hanuman in the movie was a stage performer who played Hanuman in a touring show about his mythology. I don't I don't know anything about Hanuman the God. Uh, I just know that he's in this movie as this, like, whoa, that's weird. They made a movie where the Ultra Brothers fought a fucking deity of another culture. That's so surreal. Yeah, we 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 did a we did a a video about this where we reacted to it, and I just I'm I'm just totally quoting myself. But in the video, I said they do gods different over there, and then I said people have been decapitated for uh, drawing pictures of the Prophet Muhammad, but. Over there, they're like, let's have him, let's have him fight Ultraman. Let's have him fight characters from a children's TV show. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so basically, um, the getting into the nitty gritty of kind of why this whole deal happened and it was so kind of shady from the get go. So basically, Sampor Sangdan Chai, the the founder and president of Chayo Productions, claimed that. Uh, Nobudu Tsuburaya, EJ Tsuburaya's son. So EJ Tsuburaya is the guy that created Ultraman and Nobudu Tsuburaya is the guy who took over after EJ passed away. Um, that, that, uh, so, you know, uh, that they, they claimed that Nobudu Tsuburaya gave him the license to make Ultraman productions outside of Japan. Get the receipts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, why would he do this? Because, uh, Chayo had supposedly, uh, loaded Subaraya with a large sum of money, but there's one catch. The document that they've produced, um, that, you know, Chayo Productions has produced in, in various law suits and court cases that we'll get into later, uh, that they've produced, uh, doesn't actually say how much money exchanged hands. And there's also like a shitload of typos in it. Like, it is the shadiest, just like, oh, yeah, no, uh, I swear, he gave us the rights. Look at this piece of paper that was definitely not written like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, here's the proof. Hello, I am Guy who owns Ultraman, and I am saying that the rights are for Chayo Productions. Love me. <laughs> yeah. Um... But the, the craziest part about all that is that when Subaraya was like, nah, bro, that's not right. This this is not a real contract. Like we, we didn't fucking do this. This isn't real. They took him to court. They took Chayo Productions to court. And then a Japanese court upheld the document as legal and gave Chayo, Production, Chayo Productions um, the rights to the first six ultra characters. So the first six ultra shows. Are those typos or passion flourishes? <laughs> Uh, so basically because of this legal disagreement where, you know, this Thai production company had stolen these characters ostensibly, uh, Subaraya didn't make any new movies or TV shows or any sort of content involving the original six ultra characters. Um, the, which is, which is a real shame. It's, it's almost like if like there was a legal dispute and, you know, Marvel stopped publishing Captain America and the rest of the Avengers for like a decade because some random asshole was just like, I actually, I would, I would actually love them to stop publishing Captain America and those other characters for a decade because of a legal dispute about the creators getting fairly compensated or, you know, any, any, any reason just, just stop publishing them. This wouldn't be that though. This would be the, 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 the creators still not getting compensated and then just like literally Mark Sargent or somebody just being like, 
they told me that I could write Captain America. And so here's my Captain America, but he's fighting the Goro monster globalists. <laughs> and it's just the cover is just it's <laughs> the cover is just Captain America just uppercutting Goro. I love that idea. I love that idea. Can we can we can we do a series of variant covers for this HBO Max fucking Mortal Kombat movie where Captain America is just fighting Goro? But it's just so surreal though that they like stopped publishing, stopped making movies and stuff with those original six Ultra characters. I mean, it's 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 the nightmare scenario. I mean, obviously when we're talking about these big businesses, it's not as scary because you're just like, ah, I mean, they're, they're, fuck them. They're they're doing okay or whatever. But like like in that scenario of Marvel, it's like that's not a big deal unless you just really are, you know, broken up that there's not going to be any Captain America for a while or whatever. But like that's that's the nightmare scenario. Like everything about this is like a horrible nightmare for anybody who creates anything. Like you imagine if you're just walking along, you you make these you make these things, whatever it is, you've made a comic or you've created a character for some web series or like you've you're making a movie or whatever it is and then some random person just out of nowhere just says that they own it or says that they partially own it or whatever it is. And then you can't just shrug it off. It's like, this is a crazy person who's lying. It actually fucks with you. And then you're like not allowed to use your own creations because some random crazy person is lying. And for some reason, people are taking them seriously. It's like it's a complete and utter nightmare. Yep. Yeah, it really is the the darkest of possible timelines. Um yeah, and it's just it's just sad too on the like, you know, there's there's peaks and valleys to the Ultra franchise, like every franchise. Um but those original ones, especially I know everybody hates this one, but I love Ultraman 80, which is like the one, the one that, he's like chibi looking and he's the one that kind of killed the franchise on TV and like everyone hates him, but I fucking love that dude and like I just love his weird little like meep smile and his the fact that his head is too big and like I don't know, he's just he's my fave. Um, but yeah, but I mean, the fact that those initial six characters and they weren't used for like a solid decade or so, is just like so depressing. Um, but, but it's weird because it actually, if they would have just kind of continued doing what they were doing, which the Chayo Productions doing, which is kind of like remixing and like taking old footage and re-releasing it and recutting it and making, you know, making new projects with the same five assets Nothing probably would have changed, but we're about to enter into a very specific and bizarre turn in this story because it's all climaxed with a project called Project Ultraman, which was a Chayo Productions um, would-be uh, project that would feature new Ultraman characters, Ultraman Millennium, Ultraman Elite, and Ultraman Dark, an evil Ultraman. Um and they they had planned this to basically be like, all right, if you guys aren't going to make any new weird Ultraman stuff for us to bootleg, fuck it. We'll make it ourselves illegally. <laughs> yeah, which is like this is this is the moment where it goes into the uh, the, the Kevin McClory territory where it's like you get your they've they got their foot in the door and they got this one little thing. And I mean, we talked about that on the on the James Bond episode. You, you got you grasped onto this one little piece of the pie and then you're just going to like fucking ride it to the end of the earth. It's like, all right, we got this little we got this little tiny foot wedge in the door of like we've kind of got the Japanese courts to acknowledge that we have some kind of skin in this game of having some kind of rights to Ultraman in Thailand. So let's like build a fucking universe and just milk this to the to the to the end. Which is like a really, yeah, it's a really fascinating thing. It's like, it's like we, I talked about this on the James Bond episode, but it's a really fascinating idea of like, you're not, you don't become fixated on building and creating new things. You, you get fixated on like reinterpreting this one little tiny shred of something you have over and over again. Yeah. And, and they took it so far that they wanted to make it into a theme park. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Dave. Thanks for listening to the show, and I just want to let you know that the Deep Cuts Pod now has merch, baby! Go to deepcutspod.com, click on the store link, or by going to bit.ly.com slash deepcutsmerch, or by clicking the link in the show notes. And you can uh, purchase a bunch of cool designs made by illustrator Daniel Taraka, my friend and fan of the show. Those designs come on a variety of t-shirts, sweatshirts, baby onesies, mugs, fanny packs, all kinds of stuff. One of them is a Tintin homage where it's Andrew and I running just like the intro to Tintin. Bacon and Legs Miami Nights shirt. Davy Bakes Papa Price Morning Show shirt. And a shirt that just says this shirt is kayfabe. So if you want to pick up some Deep Cuts merch, now's the time to do so. Oh shit, the gates are opening? Quick, start recording. We need to get this on tape. This thing records tape? Space hell tape. How's that different from normal tape, exactly? My sensors are picking up a shape emerging from the darkness of the shadow-barbed amusement park. Well, hello. You must be Andrew and Dave. Yes, and you are? My name is Peppers von Busenbach. <laughs> rough, rough. I'm a time-displaced anthropomorphic bulldog fascist despot hell-bent on conquering interdimensional amusement park industries across the cosmos. Well, it's not often you meet someone and they just come out and immediately tell you their whole fucking deal. Well, I am a baron, after all, and I'm half dog and half man, and I'm a fascist and a manager of a series of mid-sized amusement parks across the multiverse, so I have no time for dilly-dallying, as they say. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Come, gentlemen, let me show you my park. Wow. This place is amazing. It's like an M.C. Escher drawing come to life, but themed to look like a rendition of the Roswell, New Mexico, UFO-shaped McDonald's? Yes. I don't like hip-hop, though. I have sensitive ears. M.C. Escher was a... Fuck it. Wow, this sure is a place. It's like water slides and weird bendy castles. And a whole island that's themed to be like space hell. Wow. That's an animatronic version of our first god emperor assistant manager, Satanus I. And look over there. It's an entire gift shop themed to be my planet. This is causing me so many emotions. So many wild, uncontrollable emotions. Wow, this is like a fully functioning scale model of the state of Arizona with actual schools. The one thing that we've always wanted. Right now, in the middle of the domain of my park, called You Can Go Home Again Land, you see. All of the structures in this part of the park are built out of a sentient network of atoms. They respond to the viewer's nostalgic desires. This area of the park is always evolving and rearranging itself to please the people within it. Seems like a moneymaker. You wouldn't believe. But this isn't why I brought you here today. It's not? No, it's not. Whoa, where where, where the hell did he go? What the fuck? We're just in a prison cell now? When did that happen? Oh, fuck, man. I don't do well with confined spaces. I have a weird ink-shooting reflex. You guys are about to get soaked. I will blast us out of here. I have no desire to be soaked in Hillsmer's ink. Wait, nothing is happening. My robotically enhanced abilities seem to be turned off. Fuck, this sucks! This is really not good. For all we know, we're locked in a prison of our minds right now. 
Oh, well, when you put it that way, if that is the case, I guess let's just um, keep recording the episode, right? Sure. Oh, so- sorry, guys. Uh, oh, God. Ugh, sorry. Ugh. It Ugh. smells like sulfur <laughs> and pepperoni hot pockets. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out. It's mostly poop. Act two. There is only one Ultraman. Project Ultraman obviously never made its way to the big screen. However, we do know some things about the show. So one of the things I want to talk about is it's interesting how the two franchises have talked to each other. And if you don't know the other franchise exists, it's just like you just think, oh, yeah, that's what in the mid 2000s. That's what the Ultraman movies and TV shows became. But they actually were like cribbing from this stuff directly. So in like 2010, the main Ultra was this character called um, Ultraman Zero. And he was the son of Ultra Seven, who's like the the most popular Ultraman from the 70s. And he didn't have a TV show because U- Ultraman and Subaraya were kind of uh, on one of their downturns at that point. So he had a series of movies. There was a... Uh, kind of arc of three or four movies where Zero goes up against this almost kind of Darth Vader-esque villain called Belial. And Belial is, he's a an Ultraman from uh, the old planet M78 who got tempted by the, the powers of this crystal that power all of the Ultras that's in the center of the planet. And he tried to touch it and it corrupted him and it, his greed turned him into this dark, evil Ultraman. He has black armor, and he's this kind of space fascist. And uh, the the arcs of the the, the arc space of, fascist, of, huh? Right, I know, right? Um, the the arc of the movies that Zero stars in are him going up against this fascist and being mentored by the seven Ultra Brothers in various capacities. They kind of all show up in supporting roles and they're helping him and he's learning how to use his powers and he's, you know, going up against the armies of, you know, Belial or whatever over the course of these three movies, four movies, whatever it is. And, you know, it's kind of like a mixture of like Sinestro from Green Lantern. There's kind of some Star Trek ideas in there of like, you know, this kind of exploring the galaxy and trying to um, protect people and help people. And this show, Project Colon Ultraman, was going to be a Star Trek show set in the distant future where the Earth government had constructed a space force where ultra characters were bonded with humans in order to go out police the galaxy help protect people in this kind of like green lantern-esque network and there was going to be a dark ultraman ultraman dark who was going to be this kind of anti-hero who for a portion of the series would be a villain and then would be redeemed at the end and become kind of an anti-villain and he would help the ultra guys fight whatever the other big bad is and there's so many weird parallels where it's like the details are completely different between what the mid 2000s Ultra Man franchise is and this Project Ultraman thing that uh, Chayo Productions was trying to do. But it's so interesting that they both have like the same weird like 1990s idea of like, what if there was an evil Ultraman? And like, that's it. That's like, that's really the high concept. Well, I mean, that, but that was just the 90s, though. It's like, yeah, but this is, but this happened in like the mid 2010s. Oh, you mean, oh, you mean like they, it was a, they had a 90s approach in the 2010s. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, I think this happened, like Project Ultraman happened in the mid 2000s and then the Zero stuff happened in the 2010s. But like, it's the same thing where they're just like, remember Spawn? Spawn was cool, right? What if we did a Ultraman Spawn? Oh, yeah. Cashing them checks, baby. Remember Steve Urkel? <laughs> I can tell you one thing. When I when I was prepping this stuff, <laughs> Steve Urkel was not someone I thought was going to be a recurring bit in this episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not mad at it, but it is not something that I was anticipating. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's it's really interesting that they did I kill that. But basically, it's it's kind of you know all of the Ultraman shows kind of have this idea. They're basically like Shield. Like all of the Ultras, they work at some sort of planetary defense network, and they're always like trying to stop monsters. They have spaceships, but they don't ever go into space. They're just on Earth, and they wear cool jumpsuits, but they're just on Earth. They don't go into space. 
And this, you know, Thai show was going to be like them almost Star Trek style going out into space and using these Ultraman powers to explore and, you know, have weird clumsy metaphors because it's a fucking Thailand bootleg show. Like, I, I'm not expecting this shit to be like Harlan Ellison up in this bitch. But um, it's really interesting that they were kind of taking the mythology that existed, building on it, making it slightly more militaristic. Even though there is military stuff in the original shows, it's it's not really military. It's like this benign military that is kind of childlike in its nature. With the most adorable uniforms ever set to film. I love those original, the original series and then Ultraman 80 are my two favorite. I want to I see you in one of those uniforms just, just dancing around in front of me. What do you think I'm going to say no? You think I'm going to fucking say no to that? Yes. This is all I've ever wanted was for someone to be like, I just want to fucking see you in an Ultraman costume. Oh, yeah. Put on that science division fucking helmet. You know that scene in True Lies? (laughs) (laughs) It's that. But me prancing around in an orange jumpsuit with a bubble helmet and a tie built into the costume. I love it. You won't know it's me. You'll think think it's like some clandestine like secret podcast host that you're like seeing behind my back or whatever. I love it. But it's really me in shadow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, the, the main ultra in the show is going to be this character, Ultraman Millennium. Um, what uh, if you could describe this costume here? What how would you describe Ultraman Millennium in this? The photos that we have in this script It's the top one. It's this one that's highlighted that I just clicked on. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a sleek Ultraman. It's got that, it's got that, um, what does that remind me of? I mean, it, it looks kind of like the, the Power Rangers costumes from that 2017 Power Rangers movie. Oh, ugh, ugh, ugh. But like, not that. It's like, whatever, whatever that, those are, remind me of something else that's older that I'm, that I'm blanking on. And this is what it looks like. Yeah, I, I would describe it maybe as, you know, it's it's a very classic interpretation of Ultraman. He Ultraman Millennium looks very similar to the original Ultraman. However, he has a slightly larger dorsal fin on his head. His features are a little bit sleeker. Yeah, it's just that it's just that sleek. It's like that taking the classic. It's like that thing that happened like once again, kind of in the 90s. Uh, and, may- and maybe later on where it's like, take the classic old thing and then just make it like sexier. <laughs> yeah, there's no it's not like horrible, like there's tribal armbands or anything. It's just the shapes are a little bit more refined and it's 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 a pretty decent Ultraman costume. Um, like this to me looks like an ultra costume for like an Ultraman feature film that, you know, Subaraya would have put out in like 1999. Even though they did put out a movie around that time and he didn't really look like this, but whatever. It's this is like 1999. We're going to make it cool, but we're going to be a little conservative about it. It's not going to be crazy. It's not going to be zero where he's got blue patterning all over his costume and two giant thin horns. It's not going to be, you know, uh, Taro or Leo or any of the ones that have very idiosyncratic or strange head designs that deviate from the initial kind of bullet shape of the hel- helmet and the, the Buddha-esque mouth plate. Um, we're going to kind of straight down the middle play it. It's a pretty streamlined kind of jumpsuit with like this red and silver kind of patterning. And then, yeah, just a very sleek, basic head. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, um, you know, he was basically going to be the protagonist of the show. Um, and then the, like I said, that the, the kind of antagonist and or anti-villain of the show was going to be this character, Ultraman Dark or Dark Ultraman. And he was kind of the Sinestro of the show where they would start out as friends and then he would go bad. And at the end of the show, he'll have a redemption arc or something and he'll help the Ultraman fight whatever the villain is. And how would you describe Ultraman Dark's helmet? He's just, he's just exactly Ultraman, except for with black accents. And then he's got like a, he's got like kind of like this weird black collar looking thing that almost kind of looks like a beard, like a weird like beard over this like alien robotic face. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into it. He basically has a really giant, like, it's like a collar for a cape, like a Dracula collar, but it's, it goes up like basically to the crown, like to his 
his fontanelle almost like it's it's huge in the back but it's very tight along the sides of his face and then his costume the center of his costume is all silver with his shoulders and a strip running along the uh exterior uh contour of his arms being red the center of his chest with a blue crystal with a convex v-shaped outline um that's kind of a design element that almost looks like the inverse of what a normal red uh, Ultraman chest insignia would look like. And then he has these kind of almost thigh-high black boots. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting though seeing... Here, let me find the... I'm going to find what Belial looks like for you. So you can... It doesn't look bad by any means. It's just just funny to me that it's like... It's like the bad guy is just exactly like Ultraman, except for just... He's got like black stuff on him. It's like you might as well just have like an eye patch. It's it's funny that you phrase it that way, though, because like as an Ultraman fan, like Ultraman fans would not think that this is. Oh, that's just Ultraman. Uh, click on the link I just put in the script. Um, Ultraman fans would not think that that is it's not necessarily a very liberal interpretation of the suit, but it is it is very apparent that they are trying to do a different thing. Um, yeah. Belial looks like he looks like carnage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the Ultraman Belial looks he's like a mixture of spawn and carnage if you laid it over a a uh, or venom if you laid it over a, an Ultraman kind of design scheme. Um he has he has this a helmet that is is very angular with a giant venom jaw and he has big uh yellow eyes and a a kind of patterned black and red jumpsuit that is much more animalistic and less kind of how the typical Ultraman costume is broken up with red and and silver. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you though, I fucking love him. I I have like I have like four different action figures of him. <laughs> fucking. He's got like mole claws. Like he has like claws for like burrowing yeah this is a later version where he he develops those he initially just kind of has large hands that are just kind of like big talons and because he's evil so you have to show he's evil with big talons um but there's another version of him where he becomes like a space emperor and he has a giant like tattered burned cape which is really fucking cool um yeah i i like that character a lot i against my better judgment or probably because of who i am it's like oh weird 90s throwback feels almost like a bootleg character but in the actual continuity yes i will take three of those please so basically you know the he's you know this dark ultraman is is the kind of antagonist of the show and whatnot um and it's interesting because it's kind of a metatextual commentary on the fact that Subaraya wasn't all that nice. Uh, they weren't the real Ultra fa- franchise any longer. Now it's just in Thailand. And they, they there's this weird shadow perversion of the actual thing. And now we're going to we're going to watch a little uh, a little trailer for Project Ultraman. So yeah, this is from 2007 and it's a bunch of little kids. Uh, looking up at the sky and there's this kind of pink energy wave flowing in the air a vortex is opening these kids are playing basketball and they're looking up at it like oh my god what is that and now it's a guy in a jumpsuit climbing a mountain and then going into some sort of ekg machine now we're on a spaceship like uh place with like a star trek hallway and it's the distant future there's all these screens and robots it's like an r2d2 robot scientists i have no idea what they're saying but i think they're talking about how they're going to turn him into ultraman hanging their head and shame or defeat that's the mother of ultra she's a character from the ultraman franchise in the skyline looking down at a dying astronaut weird uh, cultists with silver faces a bunch of swat guys arresting a guy in a jumpsuit a man looking up at the sky as we crane up and his shadow is ultraman Dudes running away, guy opening his shirt, lasers flying out of his chest, more crawling through the sand, a ship crash landing in a city. Oh man, that mask is so good. The silver mask cultists, guys, fucking rule. More SWAT dudes crawling through uh, some sort of escape hatch. Some dude being brainwashed, looking up at a giant uh, sign that says Project Ultraman. Dude shooting a gun. I don't know, man. This show looks fucking dope to me. Like, I would totally watch this show. The only thing I need right now is just a shot of that ultra suit. I need to see an Ultraman in this. Give it to us. Give us the suit. We want the suit. I want that suit. 
Yeah, there we go. Fuck yeah. Oh, man. Ultra guys fighting over some sort of boardwalk. An Ultraman henching in the woods. Oh, look at that fucking alien. It's a weird six-armed alien running through the city. Fuck yeah, dude. That shit looks dope as fuck. I would watch that in a heartbeat. So this was in 2007, which I believe Ultraman Mebius was in Ultraman when was in 2007. But I kind of don't remember when that show really was on the air. Um... But yeah, what, what was what were your thoughts on that? I mean, we I know I've said I would watch that five times now, but what what did you think? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I that looks really cool. Um, it's 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 funny because it just has that very particular because it's you know 2007. That was like around the time, just from my memory, when editing stuff on like consumer grade computers and After Effects got really popular. And all these people who would do these tutorials on how to do different random effects and after effects, like explosions and sky replacements, that stuff got really big around that time. And that's like when I was like learning how to how to composite and do visual effects and after effects. And it's funny because you you see like this weird you see this weird kind of like uh, ancestry of that where you'll watch random film like like short films or fan films or whatever on YouTube and you'll be like, oh, yeah, they watched the uh, Andrew Kramer After Effects tutorial on how to make a an explosion because it's, it's just like exactly <laughs> the 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 thing from the tutorial that you also made and learned. And uh, it's funny because I mean, that looked really cool. But also, I'm just like, yeah, that, that looks like a that looks like a sky replacement uh, tutorial that I took that I that I did once where the part with the, when they're all looking up and the sky is parting or whatever. Just looks very. It's very distinctly like mid two thousands After Effects. The thing that's hilarious about a lot of Tokusatsu, though, is that the visual effects style of modern Tokusatsu, aside from the suits, is basically two thousand seven After Effects tutorial. <laughs> but there's a there's a there's a charming aesthetic to it. Completely. I mean, I love it, but it is. It's funny how things get stuck in a specific style until they're like shoved out of it sideways. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me that, that, that show, like they, it got far enough that they made a bunch of footage for it. And, you know, they were planning to do this theme park, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but in the lead up to the, the theme park opening and to promote the TV show launching, one of the main ways a lot of tokusatsu shows in Europe or in Asia, um, they make money is by doing touring live stage shows. So the main way that we know what the TV show was going to be is actually from the stage shows because they kind of like did a condensed version of the whole season of the show before the show went on the air during these stage shows. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar, they're kind of like a combination of like, um, like a, you know, ice capade style routine, and like children's theater. So there's songs and there's, you know, suits running around and there's kind of like, you know, I'm talking to you, the audience of seven-year-olds, and I need your help to defeat the ultimate villain. And then all the kids go, yay. And then he, the main character gets power and then he shoots a laser. And then there's a little bit of a pyrotechnics thing. And then the bad guy dies and it's like, yay. Like that's kind of the, the aesthetic of those shows. Um, we're going to watch a little bit of a little bit of footage um, from the from the, the stage show. Ultramans running around fighting dudes in giant monster costumes. This fucking rules like you don't have to be seven to enjoy this like this fucking rules. That kaiju is amazing. <laughs> it's It's just like two adult men like prancing around and the kaiju guy just ran off stage. It's so fun. And they have these big, like, stairs and a ramp that are all painted to look like stars. It's great. Oh, is there a costume change? There's a costume change! Run, runs back off stage to, to Henshin and then just runs out. Yeah, there's another guy in a different suit that runs back on stage. But it's, you know, it's it's like the prestige. It's like, you know, whenever the, whenever uh, whenever they, whenever they, we get the applause, the other guy's up on stage and I'm down here. Yep, I love it. Um... They're they're kind of they kind of like simulated like a like a slow motion stop and start like if you were watching this as a show if like he would they, like like it, they they were simulating like speed ramping 
where he would like it would get slow motion and then he would like get up to do a certain move and then he would do the move in like fast motion and then they did like several of those and they were kind of like simulating it in live action which was pretty cool doing that final monologue of like you gotta be good kids and eat your vegetables and now all of the monsters and ultras are coming out on stage striking poses so great but, w- but what about the mystery treehouse live show yes yeah the, the bacon and legs live action stage show um yeah so basically the the ending of this story is chayo productions is like we're going full fucking force man we're gonna build a a goddamn theme park and we're gonna exploit the fuck out of this license that we totally have we definitely legally have the rights to ultraman 100 percent. we absolutely own ultraman they make the show they make these touring shows they make um an album i think too a bunch of toys and then they they start breaking ground on this theme park where it's going to be ultraman land basically it's it's going to be you know a a theme park where people can come from all over Thailand and ride roller coasters and see uh, shows and, and you know, there's going to be giant Ultraman statues everywhere. And that was the straw that broke Subarai's back. Subarai was like, ah, uh, yeah, n- we don't think so. That's, that's cool, man. That's cool. You, you, nah, we're good. We, we, we're good without you doing that. So they sue again and it's a protracted legal battle. But in the time, the meantime, Chayo Productions is just like, we don't give a shit. We're going to break ground on this shit. We're going to start building it. We don't give a fuck. And Subaraya is like, really, bro? Because we're going to fucking like win this. And it spends years in the courts, years in the courts, years in the courts. And then finally, Subaraya wins. And Chayo Productions has to be like, uh, <laughs> sorry, bro. I guess we'll stop building this Ultraman theme park. Get the receipts. Before you build a theme park. Yeah, they uh, they they built that theme park. And I don't know if it's still up because it's been, you know, almost 15 years now or you know, however long it's been. But um, for a while, there was like a, a fabled, uh, you know, dilapidated decomposing theme park in Thailand that you could go to, supposedly. Um, I don't know if that's urban legend or, or true, but... Supposedly, much like in, I think it's Romania, that all the sets for Batman and Robin are just still up. You can just go and be like, whoa, whoa, weird. This is like a bat cave. <laughs> um, yeah, you could just go and like see giant ultra heads. Um, Gotta go on an, on an urban explorer tour of the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that's uh, sadly... The, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Part of me kind of wishes that they had at least gotten far enough to that the thing had existed just because I would have liked to have seen it. I wish that they had finished it and opened it and then got sued and then they had to like change it to like fight, (laughs) fight master or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ultra Lord (laughs) from the. Q47 galaxy. And it was like, it's still open to this day, but everything is just like Ultraman with like a, with like a fucking like mustache drawn on him or something. (laughs) I wish that had happened too. I really wish that had happened. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Okay, you true. Enough of this recording. Come with me. Come with me. Oh my God, why is the prison door opening? Or did it? Maybe this is all just still in our minds. Who knows? This is crazy. At this point, I really hope it is because I'm starting to think this Baron Puppers von Bulesenbark is kind of adorable, but in like a spooky, scary way. Does that make sense? This is very confusing for me as well. Why is this little bulldog guy even running a theme park? Something about declaring supremacy over the interdimensional themed attraction world or something? Look around you, my guest. What do you see? Wow, uh, this is our neighborhood? Dave, look! Oh my god, what the fuck? Is that the mystery treehouse? 
Is this another one of those weird sentient atom land things? No, you see, this is the newest addition to the theme park. The Mystery Treehouse Investigation Slumberland. Parents can bring their children here and let them live out their unfulfilled dreams. Unfulfilled how? Because in this dimension, there is an unknowable cruelty. Systemic racism? The fact that Ricardo Montalban suffered from the previously mentioned systemic racism? A third thing that would be very character-specific to the fact that I am a robot, however, on my home planet, we don't have racism, so I don't quite know what it is that I'm supposed to be making a statement about. No, the fact that in this dimension, Mystery Treehouse is a shitty, privatized, small business run by two perpetually infantilized idiots as opposed to in nearly every other dimension across space and time, where it's one of the most highly acclaimed children's book series ever. Wow! So in the rest of the multiverse, Charles Wexelweller isn't a megalomaniacal supervillain? He's just an author, huh? He's still pretty evil in the rest of the cosmos, but it's like refusing to pay parking tickets and not tipping waiters evil. Wow. Not tipping waiters? In 2021, that's truly the most evil of evils. Have you read BuzzFeed? So, why are we even here then? I was here to just report on this weird theme park for my pirate radio station, but this seems like you were planning on luring us here? Well, if I'm honest, this isn't the first time we've done this. Done what? This does not sound good. I haven't been completely honest with you, my friends. While my name is Baron Puppers von Bülsenbach, I definitely do run a transdimensional theme park business hell-bent on multiversal domination. I've fallen on hard times lately, and I've had to take on an investor. I still don't see what that has to do with us. Wait, who's that emerging from that amazing recreation of the Mystery Treehouse? It's a robot suit of some kind. Is that Debovid18? Do you remember Debovid18, listener? God damn it. I thought we were done with this idiot. <gasps> Charles Wexler Weller! <laughs> Andrew and Dave, I see you've met my new supervillain team up, BFF Forever, Baron Papa's von Musenberg. Who's my good boy? Baron, it's you. Who's the good boy? It's you. Yes, you are. Give, give me kisses. Yes, no. Give him. Give me all the kisses. Yes, Baron. Oh, stop it. He's the goodest. He's the goodest. He's the goodest bad boy. He's the goodest. Yes, you are. I thought you were dead. But now you just have this amazing looking robot suit thing. Looks like you could kill us without even lifting a pinky. Since our last run in, I've... I've had a pretty rough time, actually. I had to get a near complete facial reconstruction. And then I went and trained with a secret cabal of sorcerers in the Alps. Took a community college space-time robotics class. Built this suit. Traveled the multiverse looking for the right partner. Briefly got indoctrinated into QAnon until I realized that the storm was never coming. Found the Baron. Yes, the Baron. You're my good boy. Yes, you are. Yes, you need to go outside. You need to go outside. The Baron teamed up, started investing in his theme park business, and then took it across the dimensional plane, squashing the competition and killing the alternate universe versions of you too. You've been going through the multiverse killing us? Why? So that you'd never accidentally create your detective business that has the same name as my boy detective novel series. And guess what? In every universe where I kill you, the mystery treehouse became bigger than Star Wars. I'm a genius! And I would have been recognized for that genius here if it wasn't for you two idiots. Wow, you've basically turned us into weird multiverse NFTs. Yeah, it's actually kind of cool knowing that we're one of a kind throughout every other dimension. But my plan has finally come together. I'm finally here with your stupid faces within my mystical laser shot. All I have to do now is- Wait, put me down, what are you doing? No, enemy unit Baron Puppers von Buildenbark. You are an enemy of the people of every dimension. And your theme park sucks. Fuck, what is happening? Uh, your chest is opening up. I'm, I'm getting sucked into some sort of pocket dimension. No. 
my heart is fueled by a pocket dimension the size of a pin's head. You will be free to live out the rest of your days, free from the temptation of hurting anyone or crushing any prospective theme park attractive rivals. Farewell, Baron Puppers von Bulesenbar. My god, I'm so glad that you didn't think to do that whenever we were fighting you that one time. Now it is your turn, Mr. Wexler Weller. Not the Baron! It's my good boy! Fuck man, he was my friend! I really liked that guy. He was he was really cool. We used to watch movies and shit in between dimensional occupations. <sighs> well, if you're gonna take my friend, then killing you is too good. I'm going to make you suffer by taking yours. Oh fuck! Get your hands off me! What's that massive portal? Zero, stop him! I can't believe his magic is proving resistant to my robotic science. No! Well, that's convenient. These stakes just keep getting raised, don't they? I suppose I'll see you two on the east side of time. I told you, you twin pieces of shit! What, what, what just happened? What do we do now? We get Hillsmer back? I guess? What? Why do we even want to do that? Do we want to do that? Do, I, do is we, that is, I, are we actually good now? Like, are we, is this is this like the best thing that's ever happened to us? No, we should probably get him we back. We should probably get him back. We should probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should probably get him back. Yeah. Yeah. I know who can accomplish this. Friend unit Andrew and friend unit Dave. Who? It will require help, but I have a plan. Wait, hold on, wait, hold on, wait. Is this like a, is this a cliffhanger? I mean, the theme song played, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I think this is a uh, post-credit scene. Huh. Have we ever had a cliffhanger before? I don't think so. Do you think Hillsmer will be alright? Like, is Hillsmer gonna die? No, he's too much of an important character. There's no way they'd kill him off. But didn't I read in the Mystery Treehouse Times that Hilsmer's 50-something episode contract was done and that he didn't want to be a part of the M-T-H-I-A-C-U? That does sound familiar. Oh, fuck! Is Hilsmer going to survive this cliffhanger? Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by the Dead Boy Detectives.